You've got an opportunity right now to really study how you are doing things and how you can't do those anymore. And you're being innovative and creative and taking bold steps and doing things differently. The last thing you want to do is go back to normal. Welcome to Pencil Leadership. My name is Chris Anderson, success and lifestyle coach, and this show is to help you begin building a life of fulfillment and to leave a positive mark on the world. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Now take out your pencils and let's begin. Jim Rohn said, work on yourself more than you do your job. And Brian Tracy said, excellence is not a destination. It is a continuous journey that never ends. This is episode 74 with... David Veach, he's a teacher, a speaker, an author, and he is also a coach uh, with his method, Return to Better. And David comes today, he's going to be speaking on leadership, um, uh, leadership development and behaviors, loving learning and letting go. And don't forget to share this episode with someone else and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Well, I think it all started uh, in the Army. I spent uh, 20 years in the Army. Uh, right out of college. I got an ROTC scholarship, went into the infantry, uh, decided to be a, um, a war fighter for a while. Um, I spent 10 years in the infantry. Then they sent me off to grad school and I studied industrial management and got introduced to lean manufacturing then, a lean production. The, and I went to work then kind of in that specialty uh, as a, a contracting officer. So I was buying missile systems and missile parts and uh, I went from Patriot Missile Systems to some anti-armor weapon systems. And then I got an opportunity to go from a buying command in Alabama to a plant, the uh, Lockheed Martin Vought Systems plant in Grand Prairie, Texas, where uh, I was working with the teams that were developing all these different weapon systems and with people who were trying to implement these ideas about total quality management and lean systems. Uh, so that hands-on kind of learning with that with that uh, contractor uh, in a unique kind of perspective, because I, I, as a government guy, they wouldn't let me get in and twist branches and do that kind of stuff. So I had to watch and study and ask lots of questions, and I got a, had a great experience there. And then I got a chance to go and teach. Uh, so my last job in the Army was teaching at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the Defense Acquisition University. And we didn't have a lean curriculum for government professionals who did the things that I was doing in that plant. So a company might want to take these steps and, and initiate a lean transformation. But if the government folks don't know what's coming and don't understand how to support that, uh, it's really easy for the government to say, wait a minute, that's beyond the scope of the contract. You can't really do that or we can't really take that kind of risk and shut some things down. So I made it my mission to teach those folks how to help those contractors boost that uh, improvement initiative. And uh, I would love to say that I was perfectly effective and had a great impact throughout the government. And government is now super efficient because of the efforts of my stuff. But uh, we all know that the government is still not quite there. Uh, there are lots of folks, lots of very conscientious folks trying to make the government more effective, but it's just a beast. And I want to talk a little bit about beasts as we go through this. So when I retired from the Army uh, in May of 2001, just before things really got interesting after 9-11, I got a chance to teach more. Uh, I taught at the University of Kentucky. Uh, so they hired me in the College of Engineering to work in the 
Center for Robotics and Manufacturing Systems. And there we had a group that was a lean manufacturing group that was responsible for studying the Toyota production system. So when I got my ID card for the university, uh, I also got very shortly thereafter a badge to get me in and out of Toyota pretty much whenever I needed to go. And we were given the mission that whenever you can spend as much time out there and go and study some aspect of the Toyota production system. And that was just a, an, uh, another wonderful learning experience where uh, I didn't get to go and turn wrenches, but I got to go and really study pretty much every aspect of the system that I was interested in. Uh, that meant for me, because it was the College of Engineering and I'm not an engineer, all the engineers took all the fun technical things, and I studied aspects of the system that involved their leadership development, their suggestion system, quality circles, and teams. So it was uh, just a wonderful experience seeing them evolve their learning in real time on the floor. Uh, and it really, really stuck with me uh, the way that they did things and how even though they're this mass manufacturer and there's limited vari variation in the products they were making, the principles that they were applying to get the people involved in all this stuff are universally applicable. And so uh, I, I would take what I learned from there uh, and roll it into all the courses that I would teach both at the university and for our corporate clients. After about five years, um, my colleagues and I decided we needed to have a more hands-on impact with our clients. So we started a consulting firm in 2006 called the Institute for Lean Systems. Um, and we built a branch in Australia. So I went to Australia like 26 times in six years. Uh, we had a, a growing concern here in the North America, but in 2008, 2009, when the economy was, was, really at the low point, uh, our main business shifted from helping successful companies get better to helping companies that were struggling to stay out of bankruptcy, stay out of bankruptcy. And often that was kind of brutal and bloody work. And then when the economy recovered, my, my, we were good at that. And so more clients wanted us to do that for them, even though it wasn't desperately necessary based on the economy. And I didn't, I just didn't like doing that kind of work because it involved a lot of of downsizing and right-sizing and then building processes that would recover and be able to work with that lower um, headcount. And it was just not what I wanted to associate with the, that whole headcount reduction piece is, yeah, I can, I can take a lot of cost out of an organization very quickly, but it doesn't build a sustainable culture and it creates a lot of fear in the organization. And if you got a lot of fear, you can't really rely on people to contribute their best ideas, contribute to solving problems and the things that are really important to make an organization ready for the future. Um, so I left the consulting firm and joined the Ohio State University, uh, again, teaching. My main uh, role was to teach in the Master of Business Operational Excellence program, which is one of the best lean graduate programs anywhere. I was really um, honored to be associated with it. Um, I did that for about five years, nearly full time, but uh, things evolve and things happen. And my tolerance for academic stuff is about five years. Um, so I um, had some old clients that contacted me, wanted me to do some more things. And so uh, I reduced my workload with Ohio State and started more independent consulting and independent teaching. 
Um, and that's pretty much where I've, I've evolved to. My affiliation with the university is still intact. I'm doing executive ed programs with them and I'm teaching a program in the uh, College of Engineering starting next summer that I'm really excited about. It's just one class. It's the capstone program for a master's of engineering management program that just really looks like a fantastic program. It's set, it's shaping up wonderfully well, going to be a hundred percent online. And I think we're going to have a huge impact with this. So I've enjoyed everything that I've experienced has been a, a perfect learning environment. And one of my, favorite things to do. One of the things that one of the few things I'm really good at is taking all of this stuff and really packaging it up so that I can teach it more effectively to people. And so I, I really enjoy the teaching aspect of it uh, more than anything else. I don't want to go in and, and here's my solution to all of your stuff. I want to go in and teach you how to think through what you're experiencing and how to apply it and Kind of, I know I know which buttons to push. I know where to poke, and I've gotten some pretty great results from people. That's wow! That's fantastic. There's so much going into just leadership development and this lean uh, transformation, manufacturing kind of positioning. I, I think would be so crucial in business. Um, and so, so who do you mainly work with now? I know you said you subtitled you uh, Ohio State, and um, so you're still working with the corporate entities type. I do. I still have uh, several clients. Of course, the uh, the coronavirus has kind of slowed the on-site engagements significantly. So I had a uh, I've got a contract with the U United States Postal Service. I've been oh, doing cool. some training and development for them uh, for the past four or five years. Um, they uh, with with all of the news that they were making before the election and everything with their new director and yeah. the things they were trying to do. Um, everything pretty much dried up for them right now, but I've talked to them several times. We're going to get fired back up probably in February. Mm. Um, one of my favorite clients was Rolls Royce. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, they had the same kind of, uh, same kind of condition. They were doing great. We were doing a really advanced program that involved leadership and lean systems there. Um, but, um, cash flow uh, for the company kind of, put the kibosh on that. Yeah. Um, I've got uh, a client in Rochester, New York, uh, that is a manufacturer of uh, metal parts and assemblies. They are, they've got a big defense contract. So I'm, I'm working with them a couple of days a month on problem solving. Uh, another client up in Boston or not in Boston, but in central Massachusetts, uh, I've been working with them for several years on uh, visual management systems and it's always a treat to go in with them and, and see what's next. Yeah. Um, plus, I've got uh, problem-solving workshops that I'm doing with folks like Lean Frontiers, um, and I'm trying to have as much fun as I can and create yeah. stuff while I can. That's awesome, and I think that's a key I'm thing. Busy and be able to pay the bills too. That's right. Yeah, I think mixing all that together, but having fun still with it is, is really neat. Yeah. So, so like with that, like I know you you coach Return to Better and. Um, is that part of the, the corporate con consultation is the return to better with the leadership? And well, that started uh, when, when everything hit in March, mm -hmm. um, I was really worried that, and I started seeing things about, Oh man, what are we going to do to get back to normal, get back to normal, get back to normal. Yeah. And I started asking people, why do you want to get back to normal? I mean, <laughs> you've got an opportunity right now 
to really study how you are doing things and how you can't do those anymore. And you're being innovative and creative and taking bold steps and doing things differently. The last thing you want to do is go back to normal. Right. So really study what you're doing now and how can you take what the lessons you're learning right now, doing the work completely differently and yet still being productive and still being effective. How do you keep that? So when you do go back, you go back to better instead mm. of normal. So it's, it's really about um, processes. And from a leadership perspective, it's about making sure we're spending the time we need to study and to develop our people so that when we do go back, we don't actually go backwards mm. we go forwards and return to better. Yeah. I love that. It's, and it was something I heard kind of along the same lines is like, you have an opportunity during this, this pandemic, this quarantine that you're either kind of come out of it. No different, no change or worse, or you're going to improve and you're going to make something happen in a positive way. And so it's up to you. Like you have to choose uh, which way you got to go with it. And I think that's, that's really it. Sometimes for some people, like a hard thing to kind of think about, like, did I come out of this better than I was going in? Or did I just kind of sit around and, and, and wait for things to just go back to, like you said, normal, which why would we want to do that? So I think, yeah, I think just growing through and using opportunities. I mean, even if it's a hardship to improve ourselves, um, is, is so crucial. Well, every now and then, I think we need this kind of jolt to the system. I hate that it's this kind of jolt. Yeah, I hate that it's this bad and this deep. Um, and I hate that uh, we we're having such a hard time keeping that curve flat and round yeah. in the corner. Um, but um, it really shows what we're tolerant of and what we're capable of. And I've been giving that some thought today and about yeah. how difficult it is for us to stick to something. Right. Even when it works, it's really difficult for us to stick to something. And so when you look at the history of, of like change initiatives and fads, mm. uh, particularly with diets, diets is such an easy example. Um, I was writing a little, a uh, little post to send to my, my audience this morning, um, I can show you in my app uh, 481 days straight of keeping track of every single thing that I ate. Wow. And in that 481 days, I lost 30 pounds. Wow. Okay. I've gained it all back because I quit keeping track. Mm. Um, why did I quit keeping track? I don't know. <laughs> it was a, uh, it wasn't like I deliberately decided to stop keeping track. Yeah. Something happened that distracted me and I missed it for a day or I missed it for a day or two. Uh, and then once you start those little slips, it is really difficult to get back on track. Yeah. It takes a lot more effort to get back on track. Really. It I think huge effort. And it's you, you play with your, you play these mind games. Like, is it really going to be worth the effort? Yeah. You get back in it. Don't I know enough now to keep from overeating? Aren't I still exercising every day? I mean, I still, I still walk frequently. I'm doing the half marathons and awesome. hearing and having a, I'm still doing all that, but I'm just, I keep eating more than I should. <laughs> and therefore I'm, I'm unable to lose right. the weight that I gained back. Uh, the same applies to organizations. Uh, when we were doing uh, my first engagement, I mentioned Rolls Royce. Our first yeah. engagement with them uh, was to teach their folks 
their new version of the Rolls-Royce production system, which is their version of the Toyota production system that was applied to the, to the company. And this is Rolls-Royce makes aerospace engines. They're not, not the car company. Um, we examined how many different change initiatives they had experienced in the previous 20 years. And what we learned was they had 53 different initiatives that they had spent more than 100,000 pounds on. 53 initiatives in 20 years that they made significant investment in. And I start, you, you, what's going to be different about this one is what the question was. Yeah. But my question was, why so many? And what happened? And were they limited in scope? And uh, to do something with a large company like that, it, the momentum you have to build is just takes an incredible amount of energy. Mm. There are all, the, the amount of energy often exceeds the will of the leadership of the organization to provide resources for that. Right. And so they'll say, well, we will go this far, but we won't go any further. And then, so that takes them to a certain level, but then they fall back. Right. So it's like, I've lost 20 pounds. I gained 10 back. <laughs> I'm, I lost six pounds. I gained four back. And it's the same with organizations. We okay. get so far and then, Maybe we get a new leader who's got a different experience and wants to do something different. And the impact they have on the organization is that all that other stuff was bad. Now we're going to do this going forward mm. when we were just making progress with certain things. Yeah, that's and a good point. These kinds of disruptive behaviors uh, keep us from being where we need to be. But the more I think about it lately, Chris, mm -hmm. um, how do we deliberately introduce something like that to just kind of jar us on the side of the head and say, are you doing everything you need to do? Or do we need to tweak this and take this to the next level? Yeah. And if you look at those 53 change initiatives over the past 20 years, they're all similar. They all have the same kinds of desired outcomes. They have the same features, uh, many of the same tools that come into this. Um, so maybe we need to introduce those more deliberately to just kind of shock our systems enough to get people re-engaged and interested. Now, I haven't done any formal studies on that, but man, I've been thinking about that a lot for a long time. And maybe, maybe that's something I need to, to spend some more time. Researching. Yeah. I think it, that's interesting is, and like, even in our lives as individuals, like what is it going to take for us to kind of get that, that shock, that, that change going in our, in our daily lives. I mean, how's, I know you kind of talked to a little bit, but the correlation there to what you do or what you've seen in the corporate world to like a personal, someone's personal life, like what are those shocks? Could they be? I mean, obviously a pandemic could be one, <laughs> but yeah. Where do you, how does, how does that work? How can we, from your perspective, what can people do to get themselves going, I guess, in a positive direction to make the positive changes? I think the most important thing to help us change or lead a change mm -hmm. is to establish a new relationship with somebody. Okay. So maybe it's time to hire a coach. Gotcha. A lot of people think about that. I don't really need a coach, but if you look at every professional athlete who means, who cares what they, about what they do, they've all got private. That's great. Yeah. That's a great point. A little bit better. Um, so if, if, if the best players in the world have coaches, 
why shouldn't you if you want to be the best business leader in the world? Yeah. Um, but people are really hesitant to do that. Um, I, I, I guess we think we can read something. Yeah. But and the, implement it. the coach really brings is the accountability piece and the yes. reminder piece. Yep. And giving you the sense that, oh, my God, I've got an obligation. I got a call with Chris at 10 o'clock. <laughs> I can't blow that off today because he's waiting for me. Uh, and so that. And I paid for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's that it's that that guilt thing. Maybe that's a, another component yeah. that we need to consider is, is I want to feel obligated to somebody else in a new relationship. Mm. And one of the other things that that strikes me about that is uh, there's a there's a book that was written by Alan Deutschman. Uh, And I forget how long ago it was. It was not very long ago, but it's called Change or Die. Hmm. And it is a fantastic book. And it's based on three primary case studies of permanent change in people's lives. And the first case study dealt with heart patients. You know, heart disease is the number one killer of people. Yeah. he showed uh, all the statistics about where we are now and how many people have uh, coronary surgery, surgical procedures, bypasses, et cetera, that we spend billions of dollars on in the United States. And then he contrasted that with a, 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 a preventative program uh, from Dean Ornish that involved diet and exercise and accountability yep. to people, a support structure. And he showed the results from that. And it was just fantastic. And the second yeah. case study uh, was with uh, prisoners. Hmm. So we've got convicts and we have this history of freeing people. And because we haven't done anything to rehabilitate them, right. we really provided any kind of safety structure, you know, six months later, they're back in, right. Or within three years, like 90% of them back in jail, some somewhere. Yeah. And he found uh, the Delancey street foundation in San Francisco. That is a, a prison with no fences and guards and all uh, that. And he talked about how they do things differently and how 75% of the people who complete this four-year sentence to Delancey Street, 75% never go back to jail. <laughs> and the thing that really attracted me to the book was the third case study because it talks about auto workers. And he told <laughs> the story about uh, General Motors and Toyota and how they both were separate for so long. And then uh, in the mid eighties, they had a joint venture uh, and they called it the new United Motor Manufacturing Incorporated, which is NUMI and how it completely transformed the way they worked using the same employees and building the same cars, but with a different management system and different leadership and a different philosophy about the value people bring. Uh, They just, it's one of the greatest stories in industry. Huh. Um, but the common thing between all three of those, he said it all started with a new relationship and new relationships. Mm. So in the first case, we have to have a new relationship with uh, some people who are going to help us achieve our goals. So Dean Ornish has signed everybody to an accountability team and had the team meet for at least a couple of hours every week for a year. That wow. was the treatment therapy. Yeah. Of course, after that year, three years later, they go back and, and about half of the folks are still meeting together because they built such great relationships yep. that they maintain their change permanently. 
right? Uh, the same thing with the prison. Uh, we have a new way to relate to other people. And uh, when you, um, on the intake for Delancey Street, they assign you to a small accountability team. Hmm. And they call that, they actually call it a family unit. That's cool. And they keep them deliberately small, maybe six, maybe seven. There's one senior inmate who's the leader of that team while they're there. Um, they hold each other accountable. They provide each other support. But again, they build this relationship. And in the third case with the NUMI, the biggest thing that changed was the way that leadership asked the labor force to get more involved. Mm. Previously, General Motors had a history of never asking for input from their employees. And really, it was much of a much more of a uh, an oppressive environment, you know, and we had this stress between labor, the union and the management that, you know, it's 150 years old, right? Um, so they were able to break that down by assigning people to small teams and providing a team leader for every single one of those teams. When they first started out, the team size was four or five people with a separate team leader. And people just don't believe that teams can be effective, but the relationships as a result of that new structure are what make the future possible. Yeah. And one of my strong teaching points is, is we've got to, reduce the span of control for supervisors and leaders so that they can truly listen to and provide developmental support to a group of people that doesn't exceed their capacity. And that means, you know, four or five people as a human being, that's really all we can handle. I mean, yeah. look at your own family. I mean, how many people are in your family? Right. You're, the, you're responsible for the development of your children and the support of your entire family. How many people can you really do that well with? That's a good point. Yeah. I, and that's, that's, I like, those are good stories. I like that. That's neat to hear like the pods and like the family units. And, but even like, so with pencil leadership, the first trait of being a pencil leader is in the parable, they're a pencil maker makes a pencil and he sends it off to his new owner. He said, the first thing I want you to know is uh, you can't leave your mark unless you're held and guided by someone else. Uh, and so, yeah, it's like seeking that mentor, that coach, somebody that can, can guide you to where you're trying to go because they've been there, they've done it. And so I think that's super important. And I know for me, like ego and pride kind of got in the way a little bit when I first started to do that. And so, uh, yeah, I like that. And then the accountability that comes with that, I think so crucial. Yeah, the accountability and support, it just doesn't happen without that. So right. um, from from let me finish that uh, yeah. danger die piece. It started with the new relationship, but there are two other components that uh, mm. that Deutschman says it's uh, it's re relate and repeat that leads to reframing. Okay. So we have the new relationship that I talked about. The repeat is in all three of those cases, they had very new rigid rules for the things that you could and couldn't do. Hmm. And they enforce the rules uh, in all cases. Uh, but um, by forcing people into this new way of doing things, whether they believed it was right or not, we're going to force them to do that and repeat that behavior. And as you repeat that behavior and see the outcomes, every time you do it, eventually your brain is going to say, Hey, this is, 
this is better. This is what yeah. we're doing. And so you get that full, full circle change that becomes more permanent and allows you to stick to things and build new, those new habits. So yeah. relate, repeat, reframe uh, has, has been a big component of everything that I teach. That's awesome. I love that. And it reminds me of a book, Atomic Habits, and how he's, yeah, yeah talking about when we do something, reward it uh, immediately after with just something small. And then eventually that, that's like, oh, like that's what I want because I get the reward from it. And then you can compound on those habits and create better, better lifestyles and better actions. And so, yeah, I, I like that, the relate and repeat as well um, in that. And so, so with that, like how, so taking all that into our leadership development and improving ourselves, um, I know you, you talk about loving, learning and letting go. So does that, those correlate with the same kind of principles there? Yeah. If you look at the, at the leader of each one of those uh, environments, mm -hmm. um, the key thing that they did differently was they just, they loved the people that they were helping. Yeah. And a lot of people get really squirrely about this word, especially in business. <laughs> we don't do that in here. Right. They, yeah. They, they don't understand what love really is. Um, right. So love is, is a decision that we have to make. And the actions that follow that decision really flow around putting the needs of someone else above your own. Yep. So I'm going to sacrifice my well-being to make sure you've got everything you need. Just like a parent would. Uh, we've got great lessons in the Bible for that. Yes. Uh, and so um, if we teach leaders how to make this decision to love people, even when they're at their most unlovable, right? right? They can be defiant. They can be difficult. They can be obnoxious. They can be horrible, um, but they can also be right. Yep. And by understanding their needs, that's going to shape our own behavior. And so the next piece of this, once I make this decision to love, the next thing I need to do is learn what their needs really are. So that's mm. the learning piece where it comes in. I've got to go out. And the only way I can really learn what you need, Chris, is if I can spend some time and talk to you. Yep. And ideally, that'll be eyeball to eyeball. And even in this virtual environment where, where we've got Zoom and uh, StreamYard and Microsoft Teams and all these wonderful video chat things that used to be, you know, the futuristic. Yeah, right. We have all these tools now to allow us to maintain better face-to-face -face relationships than we ever had at work in the old ways. So uh, leaders need to go out. They need to learn what people need. They need to learn what kind of problems they're having. They need to learn what kind of additional resources they need and what kind of support they need. They also need to learn what their strengths and weaknesses are so they can shape development programs for that. Mm. So love and learn. And then the, the last, I say the last part, but there's actually a fourth one. I'll get to that. Oh, minute. awesome. The, the third piece is this let go piece. Uh, we as human beings, we are natural control freaks. We yep. <laughs> really need to feel like we're in control of our immediate environment. And of course, a work environment is completely opposite. You come into my space, you're going to do what I tell you to do. You're going to get results for me as the company, right? So how can leaders then, based on the decision I made to love and put their needs first, 
the decision uh, I've made to learn and understand what they need and how they need support provided to them. I've got to then, after they've developed to a point, I've got to let them control their own work environment. Mm. And that's very difficult for a lot of people. Yep. And so um, in the toolbox for um, lean management systems, uh, there are all these wonderful things that allow a leader to maintain a sense of control personally while still allowing everybody else to feel like they have complete control of the work that they're doing. Um, you have to build these systems or it's too easy for the leader to say, no, 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 don't do anything until you talk to me about it. Well, if yeah. you build a system that allows them to experiment and test and see and prove then they can do that. And then when you come around next time, you can see, hey, this is different. Tell me how you did this. Tell me what you learned from that. Who can I go and share it with next? So that love, learn, and let go are absolutely crucial decisions for leaders to develop people. Mm. Yeah. The fourth one is uh, connect. Uh, so good. Now, now that I've let go and let you all do all things and let you have that wonderful feeling of individual control. Now I've got to do a great job to keep everybody connected. And so that means I've got to use every bit of charismatic leadership that I can bring to the table <laughs> to tell everybody else the great things that you all are doing so that we can convince everybody that, that ours is the team to be on. Ours is the place to work. This is where you need to come so that we create this attraction of the best talent. And let me tell you, the talent war is very real. People yeah. are just dying for the right kind of talent people to come to work. So if we create an environment that attracts that kind of talent and we get to pick and select the best and get them integrated into our system. And when I say integrated into the system, that doesn't mean, hey, leader, come in, make your mark. Yeah. By changing everything. Right. Make your mark by understanding what makes this system work. Mm. And it's just like you're, it, that comes from inside, just like the pencil. Yep. I can't make a mark if I erase everything. Yeah. I can only make a mark if I build on what's there. Yeah. So I love those. So look, learn to, to love learning, letting go and connecting and, and it's it's crazy just kind of how they compound on each other. I mean, when you love somebody, when you're listening, when you're empathetic and understand they have a they could have a a really good direction to go. So you're you're listening to hear and not respond from it, then you're able to really learn and understand Absolutely. how to support, which then once you know people or make that connection a little bit better and understand and and see what they're bringing to the table, it's a little bit easier to let that grip go on the whole project because you have the trust yes. and you have the the understanding that they're going to do a good job because they have now a stronger connection to the projects and then you can just share that like you said bring that charismatic uh, energy to just bring more people to that team and and grow so i love those four i think and they just play off one another really well, um, well there's, one more, there's one more behavior i want you to, to yeah and I'm sure you'll agree with this uh, based on what you've learned about it and what you teach. Um, one of the more important skills that leaders need to have is to be able to effectively challenge people mm. so that they can take them to that next performance level. 
Yeah. Not because the company needs everybody to be 10% more productive. Right. Because people get this real satisfaction out of accomplishing something that's difficult. Yeah. So we as leaders need to be. So when I say let go, that doesn't mean abandon, right? Right. Right. You let go, but you are still intimately connected and you are still connecting everybody yep. else in that. And one of the key things we've got to be able to do is know when it's time to set that next challenge. Yeah. You've been working at this pace for so long. What's it going to take to get you to this pace? Right. So, and, and rather than just coming in and saying, all right, now you've got to work at this rate. And this is yeah. something I got a real problem with, with Amazon is, is they've got mm. the way that they count. They're just really, they're just bullies. They're not developing yeah. people. They're just pushing people and pushing people. And I, I worry about them a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, our ability to challenge and then provide resources to achieve those challenges is going to, is going to make the difference for companies in the future. I mean, the, yeah. the talent we have is the only real competitive advantage we're going to have. And right. Know how to think people know how to sense problems and see them coming and are skilled and empowered to act. That's the only thing that's going to make us respond enough to the things that are, you know, changes coming faster and faster and faster. And I don't yep. really expect that to change. Right. Yeah. And I think there's, and I, I, I talk about all the time is just people have so much potential that's either just being lost because of a fear or because it's not being allowed to kind of grow. And if we can then have this as leaders, as, as managers, as whatever, this structure to let those people just kind of flourish and, and see where they really are strong and maybe they're in the wrong position and you've realized, well, Hey, they're really good at uh, X, Y, and Z. Like we need to shift them over here where they're going to one enjoy it because they're good at it and they're going to bring a lot more value here. And then we're just going to be able to then support them in that way and, and help them get even better within that strength. So I think it, it's just an overall like it helps everybody. Like everybody succeeds really when you're able to do this. All boats rise. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love that. I just heard that a couple weeks ago. So uh, again, um, and I think it, it reminds me of the quote and I can't remember who said it, but they were talking about teaching their employees and helping them and supporting them and help them, helping them improve in their lives and in their talents and things, which in turn helped the business. But uh, there's there's a manager or uh, uh, an entity within the meeting that said, well, like, what if we help these people? What if we train them and help them improve? But then they leave because they're more qualified somewhere else. And the the CEO turned to him and, and was like, yeah, but what if we don't and they stay? And then you got like these terrible employees that aren't being used fully that are just dragging things out. So I always think of that because it's so true. Like, it is. That's the mindset story. It's like, yeah. Because I think with the latter, he's thinking more about the company and the outcome for, for the numbers. And whereas the CEO was saying about the people like, Hey, that's what it runs on is the people. And so if we can make them better, then we're ultimately going to be better. And if they leave, great, they're going to make something else better because they are now better. And we're going to bring someone else and do the same thing. And it's just, so I, it always sticks out to me that story. It, it is a great, a great story. Um, I had, I had something else that I think I lost it for a second. So uh -oh. no, that's all right. I think, Oh, I wanted to say that uh, what's the first thing that goes though, when, when there's any economic trouble at all, first thing that gets cut is training and development, right? Yeah. 
Um, and if leaders who are, are oriented toward the future know that that is just uh, something that accelerates your demise. Mm. So w- when times get hard, we've got to put more effort into developing our people. And that doesn't mean going out and spending a ton of money on training programs, things like that. Right. It means that leaders have to step up and be more effective teachers on site, face to face, day to day. And if leaders don't know how to teach, managers have to teach those guys how to teach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think there's a lot of people in positions like that who think they're a leader just because of the title that they're in. Yeah. But we, they got a lot. And I'm not perfect. I'm not a perfect leader. That's not. I'm not. Uh, yeah. we, all, we all have things to learn. Yeah, for sure. So, but I think some people just take that title like, oh, I'm a leader, and they don't, and they're hurting more than they're helping because they don't well, see it. Too many of them turn into bullies. Yes. Yeah, that's a good they, way to put they it. They may not even realize that they're bullies. Right. Like Michael Scott in the office. <laughs> he just doesn't realize how poor of a leader he is. Right. He thinks he's doing these wonderful things. So that's, again, another call for having a coach Yeah. who can stop. And, and if I've got a good relationship with you as my coach E, I can tell you where your blind spots are. And you may not believe it, so... I'm going to have to have a trusting relationship with you so I can really mm-hmm. kind of peel that back. Yeah. Um, and then once we see what we're actually doing, then we can make plans to change for the future. And then those plans yeah. are just like weight loss or anything else. It's, yeah. you know, how do I build that plan? How do I stick to that plan? Yeah. How do I achieve those goals? And then what's next? Because I've got to be able to sustain that. Absolutely. It's just a system. It's just finding someone who's, who's, got a system that can help you. And it goes back to your three, find a coach, then relate and repeat and just keep that system, that flow going. And, and as you improve and uh, it's, it takes some time. Like I said, I, I struggle with the ego and the pride of it. Like, Oh, I can do this. I, I just need to learn and read and I'll, I'll be able to figure this out. And uh, no, nah, that's not the case. I, <laughs> I that ever goes away, you know, because, right. yeah. because we are human yep. is something that drives us and yeah. we can have all these wonderful altruistic thoughts, but uh uh, we are still animals and we are still very much in self-preservation mode. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I want to destroy that, but I want to make sure we can use that energy right. more productively to get the most out of other folks as well, provide yeah. the kind of environment we can. Yeah. And uh, so I think that, yeah, I think this huge, great topic, I think can definitely be listened to more. And then going back to like, again, loved, learn, letting go, connecting, uh, and make sure like that skill you said that, Learn how to challenge people to get that next level. I think those are all huge, huge things that we can take away and start implementing in our lives. It doesn't matter if we're the manager, the CEO, in everything. You have influence over people. It doesn't matter where you're at or what level. And so I think these these help structure that growth that you can show and guide other people to that you do have influence over, no matter where that's at. Yep. I think it's a great conclusion. Yeah. Well, well, David, I, I this, again, this is a great topic, and I'm, I'm so glad we had you on here for you to be able to share. I've learned. Uh, I'm, I'm sure the people listening have learned a lot as well. Uh, before we go, a couple things. Um, I ask my guests, uh, so the fifth trait of pencil leadership is that a pencil was created for the purpose, and that's to leave a mark. Uh, wherever it goes and, and what it needs to to write down. And um, like that, we're created uniquely uh, with purpose and potential. Um, so after everything is said and done for you, 
uh, here on earth. What do you hope the mark you left is? The mark I want to leave is on poverty. Mm. I want to see a dramatic reduction in poverty through the engagement of people in productive and satisfying work. Mm. So I'm focused on teaching leaders how to create that productive and satisfying work so that we can be more successful. So we can have a need to bring more people in and develop those skills and relieve this burden of poverty. That's awesome. I love that. And I think that's definitely needed. I think there's a lot of room for that, unfortunately, but uh, I love that. I, I think, uh, I think you're going to do great things with it and uh, I'm excited to see what you do with it for sure. And continue to grow that. Um, so where can people connect with you so they can learn more about what you do, learn more about you and, and maybe how they can help with that mark you want to leave? Um, the best place, probably the website to start. Okay. Put that on the screen there. So yeah, the, the website, uh, leader sites, and then from there you can um, connect to the blog. Uh, that'll connect you to a daily, uh, the videos I've been making and the, the blog posts I've been putting up uh, pretty regularly. I've, I got, I made it to, made it to 79, 79 in a row. <laughs> and then I broke that streak, but I'm, I'm on 123 now. Awesome. Uh, still trying to get back to one every day. Yeah. That. And uh, of course I'd, I'd love uh, connecting with new folks and sharing thoughts and ideas on LinkedIn. Perfect. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. I don't think there are too many David beaches on. on <laughs> um, awesome. And I'd love to hear from your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Well guys, yeah, definitely uh, get connected. Check out what he's doing, leadersites.com. Uh, connect with him on LinkedIn. And uh, Dave, David, again, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for inviting me on, Chris. This has been great. I love having a good discussion like this. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. I hope it brought you value. If it did, leave a rating and review on whatever platform you listen to your podcast. This actually helps us get this in front of more people so we can leave a bigger mark. And then share this with someone, someone that it could bring value to so you can make a difference in their life as well. Now let's go out and be pencil leaders.